please turn with me to the epistle of Ephesians, the epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6, chapter 6, we are now in the section of spiritual warfare, and today we will be looking from verse 13 to 14b. Verse 13 to 14b uh, on the belt of truth. But I want us to read from verse 5 uh, up to verse 14. Uh, oh, sorry, or verse 15 to get a context. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 5 to 14. And we'll spend our time together in verse 13 and 14. This is the word of God. Hear, the, hear it as it comes to you. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people please us, but as born servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a born servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13 to 15. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand firm, sorry, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is the word of God. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are here before you now. Thanking you as we sang earlier on, the Comforter has come, the Holy Ghost from heaven. Oh, how we now desire to have the Holy Spirit convict us of sin, to have the Holy Spirit comfort us even as we will see in your word, that we are in a battle as Christians. I pray that you may help me to be audible as, as I stand before your people as your mouthpiece and as an ambassador of Christ. May I represent Christ the way that is only true. Keep me from error, keep me from heresy. And I pray for my hearers that they may not be distracted by the problems of this world, by the problems in their lives, maybe even things that are not going well at home. May they be focused on the word of God as, as the scriptures come alive, as they see the truth of God's word in the word. We need your help to understand these things because with our own finite minds, we won't be able to understand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Welcome, uh, Clive. It's uh, a privilege to have you here with us. Uh, 
and we pray that you may find a home eventually and Tanaka thank you for bringing him uh, as well so if you are not familiar with the epistle of the apostle Paul the, an epistle is a letter if you're not a, a familiar with the, with the letter of uh, Paul to the Ephesians I want us I want to bring you to speed to where we are because here at BRBC, we do what we call sequential expository preaching. Verse by verse, line by line, precept by precept. And we have been in, 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 in Paul's letter to the Ephesians for almost uh, two years now. And we're reaching a conclusion or a climax where the Apostle Paul has been laboring to show the Christians what God has done in the hearts of believers in salvation. That God, who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, has planned salvation and perfected salvation and applied salvation from eternity past. Paul tells us that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, even as he chose us in him. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. Right at the beginning of the letter, Paul makes it a point that if you're not going to get anything from this letter, get this right. The Father chose. The Father chooses. Christ has died. The Holy Spirit comes and then applies that redemption to your hearts. When somebody becomes a Christian, the, the work of salvation was planned long ago and God, our triune God, beautifully makes it come to the fore through the Holy Spirit. And then Paul in chapters 2 and 3 shows what mankind were or who mankind are in their natural state and that they need they need salvation. For you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Those who are non-believers are in this state. They are dead. They are walking zombies. They are corpses. They need salvation. They need they, 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 they don't need a simple nudge. They, they don't need to be told all these niceties. They need salvation. They need the gospel to be preached to them. And Paul goes on to show that uh, Christ came to break down the wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. That there is no longer this black church or this white church or a Shona church or in Devela church. There is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you are a Christian, you are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no longer any, any need for you to be hostile to anyone who is a different ethnicity from you or a different class. Because Christ has broken down those walls of hostility. Chapter 3, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel. That it has been revealed. That which, which was once hidden from us has now been revealed. It is no longer something that is partially veiled, but it is fully revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And from chapters 4 to chapter 6, the Apostle Paul now concentrates on the response of the Christian. The first three chapters, the Apostle Paul is actually laying a foundation of salvation. What God has done, the, the, the last three chapters is what the Christian must do in light of what God has done. The response, how the Christian should live. 
In chapter 6, where we are, the Apostle Paul had just finished addressing uh, children and parents, born servants and masters in the church after previously addressing husbands and wives. Now he addresses the whole church and comes uh, to, the, uh, to sort of consolidate everything by saying, finally, in verse 10 of chapter 6, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. We are at war. Pull on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul introduces a topic that they had forgotten. Remember what he said in chapter 2? He said, you once were following the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he reintroduces this topic at the end to say, actually, friends, we are not only sinners that have been saved by grace, but we have enemies, invisible, dark, some visible forces fighting against us. And last week we looked at these enemies in great detail. We, we couldn't even exhaust. The scriptures are so deep. We only touched the surface, the, ice, uh, the, the tip of the iceberg. Because, friends, let's face it. As Paul says in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He goes on to say the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, uh, the spiritual forces. There is a cooperative of evil fighting against the Christian and the Christian must be well clothed. That's what Paul says. And in our text today, from verse 13 to 14b, Paul is basically addressing the issue, as we will see, of the word of God. Let us look at the text even as we open up the word of God. Verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. Take notes if you will. It helps for you to meditate and revisit the word of God later. He says, therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I want us to see what Paul says there. Paul has been saying put on, put on. But it's interesting that in verse 13 he says take up he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And this, friends, is, is very significant because it connects to the part of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ that have been bestowed upon us, that we have blessings that are there for our usage. Paul is saying, as soldiers of the cross, if you are in Christ, you've got an armor that is there for you to use. God has not left you to yourself. That is why Paul is saying, take up, Torah, pick up and put on. He's saying the word of God is something that you should put on. You should take up. And one commentator says the Ephesians were familiar with the idea of gods giving armor to mythical heroes. Thus Paul's allusion will be appropriate. So there's a picture here of our majestic God, our God uh, who is uh, infinite, who is incomprehensible, who is bigger than the biggest deities of this world, who gives us these, th this armor for us to take up and put on. And friends, to ensure that we are armed for this great spiritual battle, we must be ready and clothed appropriately for this battle. Verse 13b, 
So take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Having done all to stand firm. So again, Paul points out the same thing that he did in previous verses. By using the phrase stand. Or the idea or posture of standing. Look at what he says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Even in verse 10, where uh, our brother Felix once preached from, there is a picture of standing. He said, by finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. A, a picture of a warrior standing firm. Even though Paul doesn't explicitly mention it in that verse. And then he goes on to say that you may stand, withstand in the evil day. So what is the evil day, friends? You may ask me, Pastor, what is the evil day? The evil day simply means that the day that Satan decides to attack. When temptations seek to overtake you. The day when you don't feel like doing things for the glory of God is the evil day. The day when some sort of temptation seeks to take you away from the holy God. That is the evil day. On that day that the devil, just like he approached Eve, will approach you and say, Did God really say? Questioning God's goodness and truthfulness. Well, friends, basically the evil day is every day, isn't it? Satan's agents are numerous. And are working against the Christian every day. There is no paid holiday. There is no break from the assaults from the evil one. There is no day when I can say, well, I'll just lie down and rest. And nothing will tempt me. Nothing will spoil my day. There is no day. The moment you walk out of this church today, there will be a temptation from the evil one. Maybe there's even a temptation from the evil one now to stray from the word of God. Maybe you're plotting evil as we preach the word of God. You're thinking, when is pastor going to stop? I need to go and sin. From the rising of the sun to its setting, wickedness abounds. From our opening our eyes to closing them, the enemy is at work. That's the evil day. Paul is saying, take up the whole armor of God, not just one piece, not just uh, maybe a belt or a helmet or the breastplate or the shoes. He's saying, take up the whole armor and wear it so that you may be able to withstand the enemy in the evil. Because the evil day is every day. We are in a perpetual war. In an ongoing war. That is why you must be alert, friends. That is why the scriptures exhort us to be alert. Because the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion. And I'm afraid, friends, a lot of us are not alert. I'm afraid, friends, a lot of us are stuck like a duck in the middle of a national park. You're just sitting, laying your eggs. Unbeknown to you, the devil is about to take you and destroy you. Verse 13 B of Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says, let me read the whole verse again. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. That phrase, having done all, just simply means that you have done your level best to ensure that you are protected from the wiles of the evil one. You have prayed. You've read your word. The word of God. 
You've meditated on the word of God. You attend church. You are accountable. You, whatever is trustworthy, you are thinking about such things. You're meditating on the truth of God's word. You're keeping from evil. You're, you're keeping your eyes from evil. You're keeping your mind from evil. You're keeping your hands from blood. Whatever is sinful, you're, you, you're doing your best to stay away. Listen to what one commentator says on this verse 13b. He says, when the emergency is over, it will be found that not an inch of territory has been yielded. Christians would have done everything, not only in preparing for conflict, but pursuing it. You would have done everything in your power. So our, sort of the heart of the text that we'll spend our time in today is verse 14. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Today we'll only look at part B of verse 14. But let's go back. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And it is interesting that in, in Isaiah verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus is said to be the one who's wearing a belt of righteousness. So in emulation of our Lord, we should wear the belt of truth appropriately. Listen to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. It says, righteousness will be the belt around his hips. This is a, a prophecy of the Messiah. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. But I want us to see, friends, that Paul was a master of illustrations. He was a master of allusions, pictures, and demonstrations. And having been in the company of soldiers himself and would have read the history of Israel and the wars that took place, he knew what a well-armed soldier was and what an unarmed soldier wasn't. That is why he says, therefore, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The, the, the KJV says, having your loins Guts about with truth. That's what, that's what the, 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 the KJV says. So the picture here that we see is that the girdle or, or sash was always with the ancients, an important part of their dress. So the soldiers in the past used to wear robes. And so the robes would sort of... Uh, be a distraction on their feet as they're running. So they'll get a belt, and that belt would be tied around the waist and around the loins. That's what it means to gird your loins, to prepare for battle. That's what God said to Job. He said, gird your loins, prepare for, uh, prepare for battle like a man. In other words, you need to be active. You, the, the Christian must be active and appro appropriate, appropriately dressed for the war. And I want to suggest to you, friends, that the belt of truth here represents the truth of God's word. The belt of truth is the, is the truth of God's word. If you are to dress on properly as a Christian, the first thing that you need is the word of God. You don't need a revelation. You don't need a dream. You don't need a vision. You don't even need uh, some sort of intuition. You need the word of God. The fight of the Reformation in the 16th century by the likes of Martin Luther, the German monk, 
was the recovery of sola scriptura, the recovery of scripture alone, the truth of God's word versus the tradition of the Roman Catholicism and the Pope. And the radiant cry was, thus says the word. This is what the word of God says. Not man, not bishop, but the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. How many of us can do that? How many of us today, when questioned about our faith, can say, this is what the word of God says? When you're, when you're facing opposition at work and people are trying to tempt you to fall into sin, how many of you can say, away with this, this is what the word of God says. The word of God is true. <laughs> we live in a day that wants to respond with reason. We live in a day that wants to respond with ideologies. Is the word of God central in your life? Is the word of God central in your marriage? When you fight with your spouse, do you sit down after the fight and say, My love, thus says the word. Paul is saying this is a very important attire. If you, if you are to fight the war, you need to have the belt of truth. And friends, the belt of God's word in spiritual warfare is the scriptures. That's the first ingredient. If you don't, if you don't have them, if you don't know them, if you don't consider them, then you're not fighting. There's no war you're fighting. If you don't have the word of God, best believe you, me, I can bet you, you are backslidden. You are in sin. If you don't have the word of God, I can bet you, you are not a Christian. If you don't savor the word of God, if your Bible is only open on Easter, if your Bible is only open on Christmas Day, if your Bible is only opened when, well, I've got problems and now I need to see God, then you're not a Christian. Because this is the active ingredient to a vital or the vitality of the spiritual life. The word of God, God breathed, divine word. And I want us to see three points, friends which I need to uh, really expound upon in spiritual warfare when using the word of God as the belt of truth. I want you to see, first of all, that Jesus is the truth. Jesus as the truth. Secondly, the scriptures bearing witness about Jesus. And then thirdly, God's word as the truth. Right, first of all, let's not get lost. Please follow me. Follow what I'm thinking. Follow what, the, what Paul is thinking. Follow what the ancients have thought. Jesus as the truth. So where do I get my point? Remember in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, if you go back there, Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord. And remember, friends, the foundation of the spiritual warfare, for us to even begin to speak about it, one must be saved. One must be a Christian. One must be in Christ. One must know Jesus. One must have an active and living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 4 to 7. There's a discourse going on between Thomas and Jesus. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered them, I am the way and the truth and the life. Highlight the word truth. Jesus is the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you, have, if you had known me, you would know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Friends, were we to put Paul Moja here, your dead grandfather here, your ancestors, your totem, your hustle, your children, your wife, your business, all the idols that you have made or fashioned for yourself and put them on a pedestal or even comparison, they would not stand. All those things are not the truth. All those things are not the definition of truth. Christ will always triumph as the truth. As the only way to be reconciled to God. There is no many roads to God. There is only one road to God and it is narrow and few are on it. There is only one gate that, that gets you to God. It is not your own works. It is not your ancestors. It is not the people that you love, your idols, Lionel Messi. He'll never get you saved. You need Christ and Christ alone. That's why we sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. And we sing all these songs, but we really think about it. We really meditate upon the word of God and say, really, am I in Christ? Is Christ my all in all? And friends, if you're living for self or to make a name for yourself, you're not living for Christ, then your life is useless. It's useless. If a life without Christ is meaningless and empty, you can pursue all the money in the world. You can throw money in the streets of Harare and people flock to the money but die and go to hell. This is serious business. If you don't have Christ, your life is, is meaningless. A life without Christ is fake. It's built on lies. And before you know it, it will be exposed for what it is. And you will be exposed for what you are. Blown away by the chaff, like chaff. And friend, if you are living a lie right now and you know yourself, come to Christ. Come to the truth. Christ is saying, what are you waiting for? Come to me. Forsake your works. Forsake your bitterness. For, forsake your own bubble that you're living in. Go to Christ. Come to the truth. Jesus as the truth. Let's turn quickly to John chapter 8, friends. Please don't lose me. Please don't doze. This is a very important message. Just like any other sermon that is preached truthfully. It's very important. John chapter 8. I want you to note something about the Lord Jesus Christ as truth. From verse 12 to 19. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Uh, some of your Bibles will say the earliest manuscripts don't have this text. But since it's here, we will preach it. It's scripture. Again, Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Verse 14, Jesus answered them. What a, what a brilliant answer. Even if I do, bear witness about myself my testimony is true 
For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Listen to Jesus' declaration now. In your law, it is written that, your te- that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me. Jesus is even painting a picture of the Trinity and is dispelling what these Jehovah's Witnesses believe. He's actually saying the Father is a person and I am a person, but one God. So how could you not believe in the Holy Trinity when Jesus says to the Father is a person? And note, friends, here how he sort of boggles their minds by saying the testimony of two people is true. That's a principle there, friends. That's a principle for all of us to follow. Matthew 18. Or even do not accept an accusation against an elder unless there are what? Two or more witnesses. It's a principle. It's a principle that we have to live by, abide by. Friends, the Pharisees were blinded by sin. They lacked the truth though he was with them. They believed him not though he showed them evidence. And Jesus is the truth because the, the, the Father bears witness of him. If you ever doubt that Jesus is the truth, friends, then think about the Father who bears witness of Christ. The Father who sent him. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This actually happened. It's not a myth. It's not a story. It's not a fable. It actually happened. God the Father sent the Son to the earth to die. And those who do not believe in Jesus are exactly like these Pharisees who question Jesus. Oh, you're not greater than Father Abraham. Our Father Abraham, Jesus said, before Abraham I am. Before your father Abraham was raised or was given all these promises, I was there existing in heaven, ruling. How much evidence do you need, friend, to know that Jesus is the truth? You want to wait till you perish? Do you want to wait till you perish? For you to know that Jesus is the truth. You want to wait until you die. Other people say, oh, repent on my deathbed. No, you won't. Ah, ah, I was speaking to my brother the other day. I was telling him, you're not a Christian. You need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He's like, I'm not ready. And then I said, you're not ready to live. You will not believe beyond the grave. There's no repentance beyond the grave, friends. I think I've gone to, my time is going. I've got a bit of, a bit more material to cover, but let me try to be quick. The second point is the scriptures bearing witness about Christ. Remember, let's not lose sight of our text. Paul says, put on having fastened the belt of truth So we discover that the truth is what? Is the word of God. And then we now presented and delved into what Paul is talking about. That Jesus as the truth. The second point is the scriptures bearing witness about Christ. Listen to what 
Jesus says of himself in John chapter 5 verse 39. You search scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And he's talking about the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the wisdom books. He's saying you, you search the law and you think that in them you have eternal life. But eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ. And he took uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 40, 43 to 44. And he took and he ate it. This is on the road to Emmaus. Uh, 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 and he took it and ate it in front of them. Jesus said to them, These are the words I spoke to you whilst while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of the Mo if in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Friends, the scriptures about Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, that is the base foundation of the Bible. Everything points to Christ. Christ is the great unifier. And he labored to show the religious elites and the sinful masses that it was he who was standing right in front of them whom the scriptures bore witness. And friends, let us remember, therefore, that even as we fight the good fight, having the belt of truth, the truth of God's word, let us remember the Old Testament and the New Testament bear witness about Christ. Let us know how to use this weapon that is called the Bible right in front of us. Isaiah even prophesied about Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. I won't read it. Read it later. Just to show you that all scripture points to Christ. And Jesus triumphed over the forces of evil. He conquered death and the devil. And he will return to judge the world. And take his people home. Christ is enough, friends. Christ is enough. And then you may ask me, so pastor, what is the application? And the application is that. The scriptures witness of Christ. If you're not getting Christ out of the scriptures, you're not getting anything. If the foundation of, the, of your understanding of the Bible is not Christ, you have missed the message of the Bible. And therefore then you will miss everything else. If you don't find Jesus in the Psalms, Jesus in the, in the Proverbs, Jesus in Genesis, Jesus in Exodus, Jesus in Revelation. You have not fastened the truth, the belt of truth. I want us to I want to close with a third point, friends. What that what Paul is talking about, what he's communicating there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Let me read the text again. So that we are up to speed. Stand therefore then having fastened on the belt of truth. And I want to present to you friends the third point that God's word as the truth. This is what our confession says. The London Baptist Confession of Faith of the 1689 chapter 1 point 1 first page of the confession. The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith and obedience. <laughs> the Scriptures are infallible. They cannot fail. They are without error. There's no mistake. Even if your pagan lecturers will say, Ooh, look at the mistake in the Old Testament. Look at this. Was the same giant, the same one as this one. 
There is no mistake in the, the Bible, in the scriptures. And friends, Satan is the father of lies. And he wants to deceive each and every one of us to, to doubt God's word, to doubt the belt of truth. And he does it several ways. In a day and age where people are compromising, you may be forced to stand alone, having your loins girded with the belt of truth, and standing and saying, thus says the word of God, we will not ordain homosexuals. In a day and age where people are saying, Pastor, we need more entertainment in the church. We need to draw the young people in the masses. And I'll tell you, the word of God says, no. Worship God according to his word. That's what the word, that's what, we, we, we should trust this book. And friends, to combat it effectively, you need the word of God to silence the lies of the evil one. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we hold every thought captive, destroying strongholds. We hear charismatics talking about, ooh, punish strongholds, punish my strongholds. When you talk about strongholds, Paul says the best way to thwart strongholds is the word of God. That's what he says. Whatever strongholds they are, whatever Muel and Zimbo, things that are holding uh, uh, this area, Paul is saying pray, preach, sing the word, meditate the scriptures. That's what he's saying, the belt of truth. And if we go any other road, friends, we will be lost. If we go any other route, we will stray from the church of Christ. We, we, we've, been, we've been given an immense responsibility as the church. We must do this with fear and trembling. The word of God sanctifies our minds and our character. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. How do you want to fight sin, friend? The word. How do you want to fight the troubles in your life? The things that are, that are hurting you, your anxieties. Go to the word of God. You are grieving. Go to the word of God. That's the belt of truth. If you, if, you, if you have any other foundation, you have lost it. You have lost your bearings. You go to varsity, Brother Anthony. You stay the course. You call people to repentance and faith and say, this is the only way I know. There is no other way. You go to the police headquarters and you're training to be a policewoman. Ketai, this is the word of God. Friends, the truth of God's word produces a truthful individual. And a, 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 a character of in, a, a, integrity. This is what one commentator says. He says, truth is our first line of defense to Satan's main weapon of destruction. The lie also, a core of truthfulness and honesty in our character keeps us from temptations. Here are five applications, and I'll close. Number one, cherish the word of God. Spurgeon says, if you want to know that someone is backsliding, they would have left the word of God. If the Bible gets cobwebs, Number two, teach the word. Preach it. Even to one person, to 30 people, to mute people, 
To people who you say, these people cannot understand the word, preach. Even if people say, oh, they, they can't understand your language. Explain the word. God works mightily. Three, live the word. Be the character that the word is describing and propels or compels you to be. Four, stand for the truth. Stand. When the word of God is being blasphemed, you better stand and say, no, friends. When the truth of God, no matter how excited, because we, we get so excited when around people, right? When we're with our relatives, those people will be blaspheming God. People are falling pagans. People have got all sorts of ideologies against Christ. And they say, oh, you know, you Christians are like this. Christ was like this. Christ was never like this. And you say, no, thus says the word of God. Love the truth, fitly. Love it. Cherish it. You know, I... I I don't know how life would be if I didn't have my Bible as a Christian. So many times I stray. So many times I'm tempted to live like the world. But the, but the belt of truth always keeps my armor intact. Friends, one of the sure signs that one is a Christian is the love for truth. Those who hate the, the truth are not Christians. And I call upon you today if you hate the truth, if you are an enemy of the cross, if you are an enemy of Christ and you know it, you know it deep in your heart, I am an enemy of Christ. This is the opportunity to run to him. And understand and love the truth.